Indeed, otherwise with me, Nancy Richards, here on SAFM. Nice to have you with us. And uh, the team today, that's Hazel Magazzini and Rob Parkin. What we've got lined up for on the show today, Pathfinders. Well, they are blazing a trail in, uh, in health generally in South Africa, but also in terms of women's health, and we'll find out exactly how and what they're doing. The little town of Smithfield is taking, it's in, in what's been described as a depressed part of the Free State, taking on festival status, so we'll find out what they've got up their sleeve. And then after the news headlines, language around gender. Are we oversensitive? Are we being offensive when we refer to uh, women as a, a bunch of women as high guys? But there's a whole lot of other issues around how we talk about women, or should we be saying ladies? And if uh, you've got thoughts on that one, you can join in. Why not? 0892102010 is the number to dial here in the studio. 0892102010. That's coming up later, but uh, very briefly, what's news? Just a quick one today. The June 16 Foundation has urged learners not to attend Youth Day celebrations in their school uniforms, saying that these often turned into sort of uh, big parties and that might be disrespectful to the memory of the youth who marched back in 1976. Well, just a heads up on this one, next week on Wednesday in our help desk here on Otherwise, we're just going to be talking about the issue of school uniforms. What do they symbolise? How are they personalised and how are they, if are they, affordable? And should they perhaps be gender-specific? That's in the light of what we're going to be talking about later. We may have thoughts on school uniforms. Certainly, if you've got multiple children, you'll know that they can be very expensive. They can be stylish. They can be just awful. So you can give us some thoughts on that one uh, in advance. Pop us a mail, otherwise at safm.co.za. Otherwise, probably best to let us know on Facebook. It's otherwise on SAFM. And just quickly, it being a Thursday uh, on the Enviro show tonight, don't forget, between 9 and 10 if you're a greenie. And if you're not, do join us. There may be stuff to learn. We have another in our icon, uh, Conservation Icon series. We're going to be talking tonight to Virginia McKenna, an actress who first made her name famous working on a film called Born Free. Remember all about those lovely lines. She's now co-founder of the Global Born Free Foundation, working in the interests of animals both in and out, preferably of zoos. Plus, we'll be talking to the U.S.-born author of a book called The Very Hungry City. He's Troy Austin, not necessarily talking about access to food so much as how energy-hungry cities can be. That and more on the Enviro Show tonight. That's between 9 and 10. And just to let you know, music fans, Spyro Gyra concert at Grand West on Friday the 15th and at Carnival City on Saturday the 16th of June has been postponed until further notice. Due to personal and unforeseen circumstances and after extensive correspondence with the band's management, they have requested that the tour be rescheduled and is thus postponed until further notice. If you've got tickets already, they can be refunded from CompuTicket. Otherwise, on SAFM. Otherwise, it is here on SAFM. As you will probably know if you've been listening carefully to SAFM, that SAFM are partners of the National Arts Festival, which is coming up very soon, a couple of weeks, in fact. So with arts in mind, catching the festival bug for the second year running, I think, is the little town of Smithfield, described by journalist Carmel Rickard as in the middle of nowhere, really. Well, they have found an inventive way to put themselves on the map with the preview festival and uh, to tell us all about this, uh, this extraordinary event we've got Carmel herself on the line. Hi, Carmel. Hi, Nancy. Nice of you to take time to talk to us about the festival. Well, we were completely intrigued and how interesting that you, as a journalist who doesn't normally write on festival-type things, um, that should be turning your mind to this. So tell us, how did it come about that Smithfield has got involved with a, a sort of preview of the National Arts Festival? Well, I think it began about 11 years ago when I moved to Smithfield, and I began to think that there must be some sort of synergy between our little town, which is halfway between Gauteng and Grahamstown, and the festival. And we've been thinking about what to do for some time. And um, actually, a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, an event happened which has um, sort of catapulted us into, into having our own festival. And I'd love to tell you about that. Yes, event. go for it, go for it. Um, it it started with a friend of mine who arrived to stay overnight and brought his daughter with him. Mm. Um, and we had supper together. And over supper, she said, well, she, she was very sad. Everyone else was going back home to go to sleep, but she couldn't because she needed to do another run-through of her play that she was taking to Grandstown to the National Arts Festival. And so I said, well, why don't you 
do it in our little barn where we live, and we'll put the fire on, and we'll, we'll, we'll watch. We'll give you a little audience. And so that's what we did, and it was absolutely marvelous. And um, that show was called The Epicene Butcher. Mm. Actually, it's called The Epicene Butcher and Other Stories for Consenting Adults, mm. uh, which is a very wry title and um, quite appropriate for the, for the show. And um, it turned out to be, um, incidentally, one of the, one of the um, smash hits of the Grand Sun Festival and is going to be there again this year. But the next morning, Gemma Khan, who is the, the, the person from the Epicene Butcher, and I talked about what, what, what we had learned from the previous night. And we thought it would be a great idea if people who are going to the Fringe, performers who are on their way down, could stop in Smithfield. It's halfway to Grahamstown, they would get another technical rehearsal and we would get a festival and that's what's happening. I think that's just the most fertile idea I've ever heard. I think it's absolutely brilliant and God bless the wine that went over dinner. That, that, that <laughs> and this is the first year, not yes. the second. Oh, it is. Well, I had a feeling, I knew that there had been... And we're yes. hoping for great things. Absolutely. I, I, had, I knew that there had been an event and that it was the Epicene Butcher, so that was where it all began. Mm. Which, incidentally, was a most brilliant production. Gemma Khan did a wonderful job on that. Yes. Um, and we, we had it here in Cape Town at the Alexander Bar upstairs. I have to say that there's one sad thing about it, though, and that is that she promised she was going to be one of the people who would come to this year's festival, yeah. but she unfortunately can't because she's directing another play. But we hope she'll be here next year with well, our that's, festival. That's a good We're enough. getting quite a lot of bookings for next year already, so okay. that's very nice. So when you say, I mean, have you, are you becoming a sort of like a rehearsal town? Is it, will it be everybody who's sort of, you know, stampeding through to Grahamstown will stop en route, or will you be getting other things as well? This year, and I think for the foreseeable future at any rate, we're, we've limited ourselves to shows on the fringe from the National Arts okay. Festival, and we've um, got a list of shows that are coming down the N6. We're trying to be ecologically friendly and green and so on, so we don't want people <laughs> flying all the way in from Cape Town and flying all the way back again. It makes sense for us that there's some people who are going to be coming from Johannesburg or from Limpopo, for example, yeah. down the N6 to Grahamstown, and... Um, they can stop over en route. Uh, we, we, we got a, a big listing of people and then went through them and um, contacted the people that we thought would work for our town because we have very intimate, nice spaces mm. and we wanted to make sure that we had the right shows for there. Yeah, I, I say, it's such an inventive idea. It's almost like the circus coming to town, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'd love to tell you about our two, uh, the two venues that we're using. Mm. One is called the Red Barn, which is a large open space and it used to be the town hall when Smithfield was first established, and it's one of the oldest towns in the Free State. It um, was established in 1848, and the building is not much younger than that. And so um, that's a really gorgeous place, and it's got a very big fireplace on one side, and we're going to have that burning while we have our shows, because, of course, it's very cold in the Free State. And the other is an old church that was built in 1870. And so I think these two very atmospheric places will be just the right... Um, provide just mm. the right background mm. for, for, for the sort of thing that we're after. And we're also wanting to have, we're starting small this year, but we want to have Fur House um, the car, uh, so, um, shows in people's yeah. homes yes. and um, Fur Karma's kind of, uh, kind of thing, like they have in the Darling Festival. Mm. And we've got a couple of those happening this year as well. Have you whipped up the enthusiasm of the population of Smithfield? Is everybody on board with this? Oh, absolutely. And we've tried to choose a couple of shows that are very specifically Smithfield um, mm. and Free State in some way. Uh, for example, our opening show is um, the Brahms Fisher Waltz. It's the premiere of the English version of the show. And David Butler, who plays Brahms Fisher, um, did very successfully uh, an Afrikaans version of that at last year's Freyfias in Bloemfontein. And um, now he's bringing it to, the, to, the, to Grahamstown in English, and he's doing a, a last rehearsal with us. And, of course, um, the whole Bram Fisher story is a really free state one. Of yeah. course, it's a national one as well, but we take particular interest in it. Our, um, our, our airport has just been named after him, and um, his cousin Zaza is a, farms just outside mm -hmm. the town. 
and he came from, from Bloemfontein. So that we, we've got a couple of shows with those kind of deep connections in our area. Well, maybe it's time for you to turn your pen from uh, writing columns to writing plays. Maybe there's something, <laughs> something more going on there. Um, I'm just wondering what you're going to call this festival. Is it called the Last Rehearsal Festival or Halfway to Grahamstown Festival? Well, those, those are great ideas, but in fact we're calling it the Platinum Preview of <laughs> Grahamstown. So it's the, the preview uh, that people can have of, um, of, the, of the shows. What we're saying to the people of Bloemfontein is, um, so you couldn't go to Grahamstown this year? Grahamstown's um, coming um, to you. Yes. Great, great. Yeah. I don't know anything at all about Smithfield, really, other than what you've just told us now. But is it, is it big enough to sustain, I mean, if this were to take off in a big way? Have you got enough uh, infrastructure, enough beds? For well, we've got a very comprehensive choice of accommodation. We've got from backpackers to a very good um, game lodge just outside town. So if people want to come um, and make a weekend of it, and they like game drives and things, we've, we've certainly got, it's a very big lodge, mm. so a lot of people could be accommodated there. And we're very used to putting up lots and lots and lots of people over December when all the Gauteng people go down to the wild coast and so on for holidays. So we're used to sort of sudden influxes mm. of, of people from out of town. Come on, why is Smithfield called Smithfield? All I can think of is a Smithfield market in London, which is... Yes. No, it's got nothing to do with butchers, except for Gemma Khan's um, play. Um, No, it's it's called after Sir Harry Smith, who was the governor at the time. And he... he, It was named after him because it it was was he who had to approve the setting up of the town. And it was a frontier town um, in the 1840s, and it's still got that kind of atmosphere. It's sort of got an edge, a rough edge to it. It's not sort of sweet and pretty like Clarence. Yeah. <laughs> and why did you go there? Because I was looking for a place where I could walk in the felt with my dogs. Hmm. And um, Smithfield has 250 hectares of of commonage, of land that belongs to me as much as to everybody else at the town. And I can walk there and... I feel uh, and there, there, there's game and there, um, there's wonderful plants and flowers and uh, geology and birds and uh, it's great. Well, I, I can hear it. I can hear <laughs> that it's great and I can hear that you're, you're obviously moving in a different direction in terms of the work that you do but definitely feel that there's got to be a, a Smithfield play coming from you at some stage. You're definitely putting the place on the map. It's called the Platteland Preview. It's happening between... Uh, on the 23rd, 21st of 23rd of June. That's, exactly, yes. That's yes. next weekend. Not yes. this one coming, but the week after. Exactly. Have you got a website, or how can people yes, find out more? it's called smithfieldfestival.wordpress.com, and there's okay. great information, pictures, and, in, and a background and everything there, and including details of the shows, the fact that you can get the tickets at CompuTicket, and the accommodation options. And the eateries. We've got great eateries in Smithfield also. And bring your binoculars, because they're wonderful birds. It's a very big birding secret. And your dog to walk in the felt. And your dog to walk in the felt. Carmel, lovely. Thank you so much. I shall read your column with uh, renewed interest now. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time, Nancy. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Well, how interesting is that? Carmel Rickard, journalist, as you probably know if you're an independent reader, she uh, usually writes about legal issues, but here she is branching into the Platteland preview. It sounds like it's going to be lots of fun there in Smithfield. And if you'd like to find out more, the blogs by the sound of it is smithfieldfestival.wordpress.com, smithfieldfestival.wordpress.com. And it's happening on the 21st to the 23rd of June. So if you're on your way to Grahamstown, or even if you're not, if you're living in Bloemfontein, get yourself there. Sounds, I like the idea of the red barn with a big roaring fire. You're listening to Otherwise. Stay with us. Here's to the students who stood up to the might of an unjust system. The students who put aside their fear to march for the right to better education. Here's to the young men and women who fought and died for our freedom. Here's to millions of young South Africans who battle new challenges every day. Who overcome poverty and unemployment so they can reach their potential. Here's to the youth of South Africa. Here's to the future of South Africa. The SABC proudly salutes our youth this month. Remember to catch SABC 2's daytime primetime shows this afternoon. We start the day with Relate at 12 p.m., where we find ways of mending broken bonds. Next is Days of Our Lives at 1 p.m. 
The Forrester family rules from their stylish mansion in Beverly Hills on the Bold and the Beautiful at 2 p.m. Catch the community of Hillside on the repeat of Siemendalan at 2.30 p.m. Lies That Bind brings along the drama and intrigue of a Kenyan family at 3 p.m. In the repeat of Mubangu, enjoy the cultural conflicts that take place at 3.30 p.m. Only on SABC2. All right, now here on SAFM, you're listening to Otherwise Talking Women. And next, Pathfinder International. Well, Pathfinder International has been working here in South Africa since 1996. They work on a whole range of health issues, from HIV prevention to the provision of abortion, all issues that obviously affect women to a great extent, and also youth. So how do they work, and what is their focus, and how are they moving forward? We have on the line Sophia Lada. She is uh, the international country representative here in South Africa, to give us an idea. Hi, Sophia. Hi, Nancy. How are you? Excellent. Thanks very much. So Pathfinder has been in South Africa since 1996. What's their primary objective? Um, Our primary objective is to increase access uh, for young people to health services. To help? To health services. Oh, to health services. That's right. Okay. So you you want to get young people on board to help uh, build services or to access services? It's more to access services because what we find, you know, we've done a lot of focus group discussions with young people, and we find that they, for a variety of reasons, they don't access health services. Um, it's, you know, to do with the provider attitudes, the fact that when they go to facilities, um, their needs are not being met. You know, there's no privacy, there's no confidentiality. Sometimes they get to a facility and they find their neighbors or their aunties there, and they don't necessarily feel comfortable um, accessing services in those kind of circumstances. So your goal then is to find a path into that so that they can go there. How are you going to change that? Because it may not necessarily be changing the minds and attitudes of the young people themselves as the services that they're where they are receiving. Um, so it's a kind of it's a two pronged approach. Yeah. What we try and do is we go into a public sector facility, um, we do a baseline assessment and figure out you know what are the gaps. That would, uh, what, what needs to be strengthened so that young people are able to access services. And you find, you know, there might be a need for um, renovations to have a place where young people can uh, sort of hang out while they're waiting to access services. Um, it would also um, entail, um, you know, having various clarification programs with the providers so that they can sort of start to interrogate their biases against youth, for instance, that are, might be sexually active at a very young age. Mm. Just thinking of youth, and we, you know, we're going to be talking about gender and language in just a minute. When we say youth, uh, we definitely mean guys and girls, or um, men and women, boys and girls, whatever, whatever the right way of saying that is. But you, young women have very different and specific needs to young men in terms of health uh, facility accessing, don't they? Right, they do. And um, generally you find that young women are, are accessing services more than young men. Um, so, you know, if we look at our data, you find that we have uh, probably about three times more women, young women coming in than young men. Yeah. Um, and so that's also an issue for us because we want to get the service, um, you know, friendly enough for young men to be able to access it. Well, forgive me if we focus on the young women because that's, that's what no, we're, that's our program is all about. What yeah. are the biggest problems? You mentioned that, you know, a young girl might go along to a clinic or a healthcare facility and find that her, her auntie or her neighbour is working there and it's all going to be a big issue. How on earth do you address that? So, like I said, what we do is, um, you know, we try and make a separate space for where the young person can sort of hang out. And um, we try, you know, what we've been successful in, in, our, um, in our facilities to, is to have a dedicated provider who will then attend to the needs of the young person. You know, it doesn't matter what they're in there for pregnancy testing or an HIV test, or they're there to pick up their meds for, uh, if they're HIV positive, the ARTs, for instance. Um, and we find that that makes a big difference if it's, if it's within the clinic, but it's a separate space, um, but specifically for young people. Okay. So the idea then is to find a, dedicate, a person who's dedicated to young people who is of that particular mindset. How easy is it to find those sort of people? Because I'm thinking that probably it would be better if they were somebody a bit younger themselves. Um, we, I mean, we, the thing is, uh, one of the things that we do initially is we do a values clarification and we make sure that everybody in that facility is part of the values clarification process. Um, and we do notice a change in attitudes. I mean, I know the values clarification, you know, um, it, doesn't need, it sort of needs to be an ongoing process. It's not a one-off thing. 
so that kind of gets built into the program design that we make sure that every few months we're in there sort of doing the various clarification and also once that's done we also provide uh, training to these providers mm-hmm. on how do you you know make the services use friendly what is what are the things that you need to think about when you're um, sort of uh, you know how you have a young client in front of you confidentiality privacy uh, respecting their decisions yes I suppose that's something that should apply to each and every patient, but I hear what you're saying about young people. They are particularly vulnerable. You know, we had a young woman on the program yesterday who had her first child at the age of 17, and we talked about whether or not she would have wanted an abortion, and apparently her mother said to her, absolutely not, don't even think about it, because you will be stigmatized, and everyone will accuse you and judge you. Um, So I suppose there are sort of intergenerational issues as well. Yes, they are. And, um, you know, one of the ways we try and address this is to have, um, so every kind of youth-friendly facility that we work in will have a peer education component with it. Um, and so the peer educators would, you know, go out into the communities um, and engage not only with young people, but also try and engage with, you know, with their parents, for instance, and advocate for the need for the services and, you know, why it's necessary to have that. And Pathfinder, are you training up peer educators? I mean, are you are you working to sort of uh, populate these dedicated youth places? When you say populate, what do you? Well, I mean, are you are you trying to train up people who will be either the peer educators or the dedicated people working with young people? Yes. Um, so what we do is we identify the the clinic. We work with the facility, so the facility will identify peer educators, and then we will come in and do their training. And same thing with the providers; they'll identify two, three providers in a facility that they want to be trained around youth-friendly services, and so we would provide that training. We're actually, uh, we're funded by the Centers for Disease Control, which is, I don't know if you know, um, the PEPFAR program in South Africa. I don't. Just explain to it quickly. Okay. It's an emergency. It's a president's emergency fund for AIDS that was set up by uh, President Bush, Um, and they've been funding HIV-AIDS programs in South Africa uh, for almost uh, 15 years, and we're part we get funded by them. So it's called PEPFAR, and the agency that gives us, you know, that funds us is called the Centers for Disease Control. Yeah. The issue of HIV prevention is obviously a huge one amongst young people, Uh, whether or not they they need to have sort of one-on-one consultation or whatever. Are you also working in that, um, in in terms of education? Yes. Um, What we try and, you know, we make sure, um, you know, for every young person that comes in, um, whether they come, they come in for, you know, um, just any other routine sort of medical care like a chronic condition or they're there for an abortion, um, we train the providers to offer them, you know, um, an HIV AIDS test. You know, I'm just thinking, I suppose one is always sort of half thinking about job creation. The idea of, of training up peer educators, are they paid? Are they doing this on a voluntary basis? We have a combination of both. Okay. We have um, some that are voluntary and some that are on a stipend that basically would cover, um, you know, their transportation costs, mm. for instance. It's not a lot of money. Cause, um, and the other issue, though, with, with paid peer educators is if the Department of Health is not able to absorb them, when Pathfinder's funding ends, then, you know, that whole program just collapses. So we try and sort of keep a balance. Yes. And I, I know, it, and it's, it's one of the things we say is that, you know, we're, we're going to offer you a skill set and hopefully... When there's openings within the Department of Health, for instance, for community health workers, then the peer educators will get first preference. Yes, yes, absolutely, because any training is a good thing. When you think how many young people are unemployed, that's, uh, that's really uh, something that needs to be bridged. Um, when you say when the funding runs out, that makes me go hot and cold. You've been here since 1996. You're not about to disappear, are you? No, but our funding actually uh, comes to an end in 2015. Um, but that's one of the reasons we, uh, we selected to work through public sector facilities. It takes a lot longer um, but we find that, it, you know, in the end it's going to be more sustainable because we're training as many providers as we can. Uh, we're making sure that if there's not peer educators, there's community health workers that we can work with so that when, when Pathfinder exits, at least we've left behind a, a, a model that can, you know, be easily replicated. Yes. 2015, it's beyond when our Millennium Development Goals are supposed to have been met, so hopefully you won't leave before they are all met. It's no. <laughs> a big call. Gosh, Sophia, thank you very much. If anybody would like to know more, I'm going to give out your website if they'd like to know more about the peer education uh, system and, and find out if you're working in their area. Let me give out the, the details. All right, that'll be great. Thank you very much. All right, Good thank, luck you. With thank, work. You, thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank All you right. very much.
Isn't that interesting? I think it sounds like one of those areas that have probably gravely neglected the issue of young people needing health care, where they need privacy and all sorts of things. So if you'd like to find out more about Pathfinder's work, it's pathfinder.org is the website, pathfinder.org. Coming back after the news headlines, we're going to be talking about um, gender sensitivity around language, so stay with us. But right now it's 1.30. Time for the news headlines with Asanda. Well, welcome back, guys. And uh, with these rather controversial words, I'm going to introduce our next discussion, which is all to do with language and gender and what's offensive, offensive and what's sensitive. And what is a ladylike way to speak to and about women without offending them? Well, we have two guests. We have Jonathan Smith on the line, who is uh, an English teacher. He gave up the corporate world to follow his passion for teaching and clearly a bit of a passion for language as well. And we also have uh, Masati Letwaba, and she is an intern at the Southern African NGO Network, who's given a great deal of thought to the way we refer to men and women in language generally. I'm going to start with Jonathan, probably in not very politically correct, but uh, he's the one who sort of triggered this discussion. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, afternoon, Nancy. How are you? Excellent. Thanks very much. So you've written a couple of blogs about this, one of which being called Come On, Guys. What triggered your thought about whether or not or how we talk about women and men? Yeah, Nancy, I suppose it's it's been a, a journey for me and myself. And as I've moved away from a very patriarchal type of view of the world, and as I started to journey and realize, you know, the the need for for equality across the board, starting to engage with language and really looking and seeing how language itself has all this power, and it's a very powerful thing, and Obviously, with maleness being the predominant usage, a lot of terms relating to the masculine are seen as powerful and strong, mm. whereas if you get in the feminine way, it's very either a bit weak or if it's not weak, it's derogatory. And in the midst of that, I started to really question and say, so much of what we use, even in, if we create in a society of equality in our language, is bringing across you know, these, these types of old patriarchal ideas that that we may not agree with, but we still use. Yeah. Interesting that you should say they're patriarchal ideas. I suppose it, it could be seen as generic. I mean, we, we I'm looking at a piece here that talks about all men being created equal, all men being humankind, you know, men meaning people. Um, there's also another quote here by a woman by the name of Professor Cheryl Kleinman, who says, if we erase women from language, it makes it easier to maintain gender equality. So we assume that it's okay to talk about men as in human beings, but actually it's just reinforcing the issue of men being the powerful gender. Yes, yeah, and I think especially, you know, when, when you start dealing with, with, say, leadership and you start constantly talking about men in leadership and men in power, and, and you may say, yeah, maybe perhaps it's gender neutral, but at the end of the day, that's what you're seeing the whole time as men. And if you're reinforcing, say, men being in leadership in your language and their constant usage, really aren't creating much room for any females to be able to come through and either take that on or if they do, I mean, they, they must probably encounter language that they're not comfortable with or they'll feel they'll need to define themselves in terms of what it means to be a female in a male environment where language does not give them the opportunity to engage in that. Yes, and very often people get sort of a bit sort of huffy if you draw attention to the generalization of language and, you know, people can be a bit sort of sniffy about that. But I suppose it's not just traditional language, it's also contemporary language in this, this thing of, hi guys, come on guys, you know, referring to a whole bunch of people. Um, so it's, we're perpetuating it in our 21st century language, aren't we? Yeah, and, and very much. I mean, a lot of people say, I mean, the term guys, if you say in general, you see a group of people and you say, how's it guys, how's everyone doing? Mm-hmm. And that's referring to a group of male and females. But, and, and I mean, I do it myself. I'm sure most of us do it, you know, and it's, it's become into our psyche almost that this impression of, again, we're using the maleness to define a group of all of us. And I don't think it's deliberate, and I don't think it's too dangerous, but I think it's still interesting to be able to start questioning and saying, why did we not start using a female term to describe male and female? Yes. And you start thinking, well, what's the alternative to guys or girls? Well, you won't walk up to a group of your friends, male and female, and say, how's it girls? You know, it will either be a bit insulting, maybe some of the guys will be insulted, mm. which in itself is a problem, you know, because guys are seen as this nice, cool thing, whereas girls are seen as, well, that's an insult. I don't yes. want to be a girl. Yes. I'm fine to be one of the guys. 
And I think when we start to really engage them, start to look around through that, that's when we start to see, well, perhaps language and the usage of these gender-neutral terms, we need to really examine them and say, well, can man or can guys really be used, or do we need to... I don't know, come up with some new term or yeah. really discard the way we talk. Yeah, your people, I suppose, is, is an yeah. option, isn't it? Just thinking traditionally, the most difficult one or the most generally used one is this issue of ladies versus women. I went to a function last night. I went to the Funny Festival, actually, in, at the back of the theatre, which was very, very funny. Amongst the lineup of comedians, I have to say there was only one woman, but nonetheless, everyone was very funny. And it was a fundraiser for Archbishop Desmond Tutu uh, Foundation there, but I digress. But somebody said, um, oh, but there's a lady behind you. And I thought, oh, it's not often people get referred to as a lady. It's usually there's a woman behind you. What's your take on whether or not lady is better than woman? I mean, lady can be quite derogatory, too. Yeah, and, then, and I think in the, in the second article I wrote was really actually looking at that and trying to say and at the school I'm at, it's an all-boys school, and we're having this discussion on what it means for the boy, say, to be a good man. And a lot of it, the stuff that came back, it's the way you treat women or the way you treat ladies. And some of the staff came back and said they really are uncomfortable with the term ladies because yeah. for two reasons. Firstly, there's the concept of the whole lady of the night, which yeah. is, again, describing women or describing the feminine in a sexualized term in which you're able to control. And the second one in terms of, well, you've got your gentlemen, which are strong, courageous men, and then your ladies. But oftentimes these ladies are soft and meek and gentle, and, you know, they want to be in the background and serving the man, and, you know, a bit straight out of a Jane Austen pride and prejudice. But then there were some other members on the staff um, who said, well, they actually like the term lady just because it, it acknowledges who they are. You know, there's, there's this thing where equality, we can be equal to men, but at the same time we don't need to be the same as men. So a lady can still be pretty, can still be well-mannered, can still be, yeah, you know, just, just a lady. It's, and I suppose it's mm-hmm. in the usage of that, and, and often people say it's the way you use it. So if I say, so you, you hey, lady, versus, mm-hmm. oh, there's this lady, I know, Nancy Richards. It, it, it does play a role, I suppose, in the tone and the context that it's used. Yes, very but much. But again, perhaps not thought about. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's all about context, isn't it? I was also thinking to, thinking of, now listen, lady, or, you know, listen here, young lady. It can be, it just depends on how you say it, as opposed to, oh, she's such a lady, which is yes, quite yeah. different. And women, um, which I think you also point out is quite harsh. Uh, you know, women, it becomes a bit sort of feminist. Nothing wrong with feminism, but... It does, it, it's, I'm not sure exactly what it is. What, what's your take on the word women or woman? Yeah, women, women? I, I mean, as you say, it's just a harsh word. I mean, you've got a man and woman. And if you think of, of all the terms that there are for, for males, you know what I mean? You, you can be a guy, you can be a bloke, you can be a, uh, you can be a dude. And all of those convey something, but it's mostly in the positive. And then you start thinking of words that you can use to describe females, and there's woman, and then there's lady, which, as we said, you know, could be positive, could be negative. And then you, you really start, you know, dig deep, and you get some very derogatory ones, maybe, such as slut or hoe. And, you know, there's some other very bad words, but there's not that many in terms of referring to someone who is female in a positive way. Mm, yeah. So, so I, I think I woman is often a, a safe word to use, but it's quite harsh, you know, that yes. woman or woman, you know, it's, Yes, it's not a very positive, happy word you want to be using all the time. Yes, and it's not something that's sort of very warm. I mean, I'm thinking of chick and doll and bird. I, I used the word chick mm. on the show some little while ago, and we had a very, um, a very sort of um, a strong response from a listener. And I thought she was quite right, actually. I mean, chick is not really the sort of. It was, it was kind of in jest, but it's not great as a, a way to refer to a woman. Mm. Jonathan, I'm going to ask you to just hold, uh, hold fire there because we're going to be chatting again in just a minute. We're also going to be talking to Mashadi um, Letwaba. She's an intern at the Southern African NGO Network and she's got re- some response to some of the things you said. So do stay with us. We're going to take a quick break. Join me, Hilton Tarrant, every weeknight at 6 for the SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. With breaking business news, expert analysis, investment insights and the story behind the story, we're helping you make sense of the markets and your money. That's the Market Update, weeknights right here on SAFM at 6. The National Arts Festival in Grahamstown runs from the 27th of June to the 7th of July. The biggest festival on the continent has 3,000 performances. 
including the best theatre, hottest jazz, awesome dance, great music, lectures, comedy, film, performance art, exhibitions, and much more. It's the place to be this winter. Book now at CompuTicket. Visit us online at www.nationalartsfestival.co.za. The National Arts Festival, 11 days of amazing, in partnership with SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. The Liberty Group of Companies wishes to advise all Capital Alliance, Liberty Growth and Liberty Active customers that your policies will be transferred to Liberty. Capital Alliance, Liberty Growth, Liberty Active and Liberty all form part of the Liberty Group of Companies and this is simply an internal restructuring to ensure better efficiencies. There is no change or impact to your policy in any way. Your benefits, premiums and policy terms remain unchanged. If you need more information, please contact 0860 456789 or contact your Liberty Financial Advisor. Otherwise, with Nancy Richards. Otherwise it is, which is a sort of kind of gender neutral uh, term for what is a woman's program here on SOFM. And if you'd like to join us on this question of how to talk about women in a nice way, um, do give us a call 0892102010. Talking to Jonathan Smith, who incidentally is an English teacher at Michael House Boys School. I suppose it could be Michelle House, but it isn't. Uh, We've got him on the line. We've heard some of his thoughts. We've also had Mashadi on the line. She's Mashadi Letwaba, an intern at the Southern African NGO Network. Hi, Mashadi. Hi, Nancy. How are you? I'm fine. How should I refer to you? Would I call you um, a woman or a girl? How old are you? What would you? How would you like to be referred um, to? I'm 21. So, would I call you a woman? Would I call you a young woman? Would I call you a girl? <laughs> I think I'd prefer a young woman as opposed to a girl. And if I called you a lady, what would you think? You know, I think it would also depend on the way you say it. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you said earlier, I mean, obviously, if you if you mean to say something with a certain intention in your mind and to mean something, then I, it would obviously portray something differently. Yeah. To me. Yeah. It's a very sensitive thing. And in the, wor- in mm. the field in which you work, which is the NGO field, mm-hmm. it's a very sensitive issue about it, it how men ab- and women are. Absolutely is. Is it something that you tumble across quite often? Give us some examples. I think every day we stumble across that with my colleagues. Just, you know, when I was reading Jonathan's articles, I actually realized how we commonly aren't aware of the words that we use and how these can portray a certain hierarchy between genders. But, you know, being working here at Sangonet has helped me to recognize some of these things that I used to overlook. We, we try our utmost best to use words such as person instead of chairman or chairwoman, mm-hmm. you know, because besides the fact that using specific words to identify specific um, genders, we also have to recognize that there isn't only two genders, not just, you know, a woman and a man. There's multiple under other genders out there. So by just simply stating she or he or chairwoman, chair, chairman, I mean, I think it's just it just excludes the fact that there's so many other genders out there. Yes, and there's so many words to describe women that are in some way or other belittling. Again, it depends yeah. much on the context. But when, when you're referring to males, there are not really many, um, I suppose you might call somebody a scholar, but then you could call a man or a woman a scholar, really, couldn't you? There not really sort of many derogatory terms. So, mm. But it, it does mean that you, you've still got to write these reports and you've still got to say these things. So your view seems to be that you just take out anything that refers to he or she and you yes. just say they. Mm-hmm. Does, it, think, does it work? Well, in most cases, I think it does. But obviously there are some, you know, you'll stumble across some things that you can't exactly change. But, I mean, I think when you are aware of it, you should try your utmost both utmost is to avoid using specific, you know, she or he's or woman or female, etc. Except one doesn't want to undermine anybody's gender yes, by, yes. by sort of uh, rubbing it out, you know, and doesn't mm-hmm. want to just sort of uh, dismiss it altogether. Very difficult. Jonathan, as an English teacher, I suppose you would be very sensitive to what is grammatically correct and, and otherwise. What, what's your feeling on just removing he, she-nesses from language? Yeah, I suppose, I mean, on a purely, I suppose we could say grammar itself hasn't caught up, you know, with with our, our gender-neutral language that we're striving for. So, you know, if you want to say, on a purely grammar basis, speak about a person in the singular, you say he, and whenever you speak about they, it's usually about a group. 
So, you know, teaching grammar is quite hard. If you're saying, well, we don't know if it's the person is a male or female, but it's hard to refer to them as they because that's plural, if I'm making sense. And then so what some people do is they say you'll put a, a she-he type of thing, or um, some people say always go for he because that's safe, or maybe go for she and mix things up. But I suppose in the midst of that, it's more trying to get this awareness the whole time of what you actually are using. I think for too many people, he is the automatic default. Um, you know, whether it's like reading a, a book and you, the character's name is Jordan, and in your mind you immediately think Jordan is a male, and then mm. you come across the, and you're speaking about she, and you're like, oh, actually Jordan's a female, you know. So mm. even within our, our brains, we still automatically want to put the maleness or males as the forefront, as the main heroes, as the main characters. So I think it's really, again, just engaging and thinking through that in the way we do on a small basis. Yes, you're quite right. When it comes to names, very often we get information coming across our desks and there's a name that could be either male or female. And you read all through the copy and nowhere does it say either he or she. So you, you finally get them on the phone and you don't know if it's going to be a man or a woman. That can be really, really quite stressful. But interesting you mentioned about the default thing. Uh, you know, if you're writing a book about something that's a bit academic and it's all about people in general, it will usually say, uh, it will usually be he rather than she. Yes, yeah. It's still yeah. the way it is. And, and I think that's unfortunate. I think, you know, whether, whether we need a, a new term and, 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 you know, whether to refer to us as humanity and whether it's they, or whether we need, I don't know, some, some authors or, and write articles deliberately refer to she, um, you know, possibly to build that up and to get the pendulum to swing back. Mm. But, you know, to, to really engage there, I know um, if we look at some of the more, say, modern mm. Bible translations, a lot of the, you know, your old King James in the Bible, you're sitting on, it's very, very gender um, in, in terms of being pro-man. And, you know, Paul writes in a letter and address brothers. And what a lot of the new translations are doing is they're coming up and saying brothers and sisters and just adding that in. And some people are up in arms because they're saying, well, you're changing the Bible. And other people are saying, hang on, you know, he was in a sense in that context written in the patriarchal culture addressing a group of male and females. And all we're doing is we're just making that language more gender-specific to the current context for today. So I think, you know, looking at stuff like that and being careful, but at the same time being willing and open to journey, I think, We'll really progress that along quite well. Yes, and in terms of the Bible, as Hazel just pointed out, you know, we talk about our Father to us in heaven. Um, we could be talking here for a very long time if we're going to go the biblical yes, route, but, yeah. you know, I think it's all about coming up to date. Just lastly, and this is one for you, um, uh, Mashadi, equally, this issue of your title, whether you're, if you're a man, you're just a mister, but if you're a woman, you're either a miss, a missus, or a ms. How, what is your feeling on that, Mashadi? Um, you mean on the different titles for Yes, yes. I mean, how do, I, I don't know if you're a miss or missus or a missus. Yeah, I mean, I don't see why there has to be a difference in titles for women when there isn't one for men. Why is it, I mean, you get a married man, you get one who isn't married as well. So, I mean, why should there be three different ones for females when, when males only just possess one? I mean, mm-hmm. I just, I really don't understand that at all. And just lastly for you, you know, in your everyday life, when you're not wearing your NGO hat and you meet up with a whole bunch of your friends, would you be inclined to say hi, guys? You know, I was actually thinking about that. I I use that very, very often. Mm. And I actually thought, like, if I had to walk into a, a group filled of females or males and I had to say, hey, girls, or use another term, it would be very difficult because, I mean, those terms that that would be, in a way, female, people would would feel like you're belittling them because they don't have that power or authority or respect behind them, you know? So, I mean, I, I totally agree with what Jonathan was saying in his article about the fact that finding words that would be able to describe a whole group of people is, you know, it, it, it's very difficult. However, just using guys, I mean, it, it, it uh, ignores the fact that there's females yeah. and guys and is the Well, I tell you what, we need to work on it. So if you come up mm-hmm. with any brilliant ideas, let us know. Mashadi, yes, thank yes, you yes, very yes. much. Thanks thank a lot. Mashadi Latwabo, she's uh, with the uh, Southern African NGO Network. And if you come up with any really good ideas, please let us know. Otherwise, at safm.co.za or find us on Facebook, which is otherwise on SAFM. Jonathan, lastly, have you come up with any uh, solutions? 
No, not not in terms of specifically speaking to a group of people. I suppose the safest is just to say hi all, or some people like using folks, but I find folks a bit old. Yeah. And um, weird. And and yeah, I suppose again, it's just being aware. I mean, I made a deliberate effort about three years ago to try and stop using said guys, but I still find and catch myself using it and. You know, the, the culture we're in is using it. So, well, we're yeah, gonna, so we're gonna, more to have we're, we're gonna, t- yes, well, we, perhaps we can have this discussion a little bit more on SFM literature where we can really get our teeth stuck into it. In meanwhile, it's been lovely to having a, a guy on the show to talk about it. Jonathan Smith, thank you very much. Jonathan Smith is uh, he's an English teacher at Michael House School. You've been listening to Otherwise. Thanks so much, team. That's Hazel Makuzeni and Rob Parkin up next. Sharp, sharp, the children's program. Up children's program on SFM with Leon Big welcome, listeners. You're listening to the Shop Shop Children's Radio Show on SAFM. I am Leon Fisser. Our guest in the studio today is Blessing and Tracy. Say hello, guys. Hello, listeners. Hi, Tracy. Hello, Leon. Hi everybody, welcome to the Shop Shop Show. I'm Tracy, the snake lady of MR Farm Comicky. Today we're talking about sun gazing lizards. Tracy, would you tell us what the sun gazer looks like? Boys and girls, are you ready? Alright, have you got your hands all ready? Leon, you can play along with us if you want to. Right, this is Spike, he's our sun gazer lizard. Right, I'm just going to walk in and amongst the children. If you can just stroke him. And tell me, boys and girls, what you think afterwards of Spike the Sun Gazer Lizard. Boys and girls, as you can see, he's brown in color and he has spikes on his body, which is why he's got the name Spike. He's got two eyes, he's got four little feet. Boys and girls at home that can't see him, close your eyes and think very, very clearly. You can see the color brown and you're going to see a lizard. With one head, one tail, and four little feet. And he's got all these little points on his body that looks like arrows. That is our sun gazer lizard. Spike, alright, is 25 centimeters long from head to tail. What do they like to eat? Oh, he loves bugs. He loves little bits of meat. And he loves his fresh fruit and vegetables, but definitely bugs and little cockroaches and little insects. He loves eating insects. Where do they live? Right. Boys and girls, the sun gazer lizards, some of you might also know them as girdled lizards. So you might be thinking, no, no, but Tracy's just busy describing a girdled lizard. The sun gazer lizard is a family of the girdle lizard and vice versa. Boys and girls, the sun gazer lizard is an African lizard. They're also on our endangered species list. That means, boys and girls, that there are not many left in the world. The reason for this, because people are taking them out of their natural environment. That means the place where they were born and that they are staying. And they're taking them either to keep them as pets or they are taking them out of our country for people that are prepared to pay a price for them. So, the sun gazer lizard is found in South Africa. I saw one on the rocks at the beach the other day. Are we allowed to keep them in our homes? No, not the sun gazer lizard at all. They are a protected species. However, I do know that there are some people that keep different types of lizards as pets. Once again, you would need a permit and you would need to know how to take care of them. Why is it called the sun gazer? Boys and girls, who of you like the sun? Okay, hands up in the studio. Leon, blessing. Everybody? Okay. I love the sun, but I know I mustn't love it too much whereby I'm going to get burnt. Now, what Spike does is he lives under the ground. He burrows very much like a, um, a mole. Parents, we all know what moles do, don't we? However, so Spike digs his little burrow underneath the ground and he's got his little tunnel. And what he does is in this morning sun, he comes out from that little burrow, boys and girls, 
put your hands on either side of you and stick your head out. And he gazes out into the sun. So there the sun gazer, spike the sun gazer, comes out and has a good old jolly morning bit of sun. So that's how he gets his name, the sun gazer. He gazes into the sun. Is his skin smooth or rough? Spiky. Boys and girls, do you know what? Spike has a very, very prickly skin. Okay? And the reason for that is he's not, he's not, um, what would you call it, the word? Starts with a V. It's a big word. Venomous. He's not venomous. All right? That means, boys and girls, if he bites you, you're not going to die. All right? Now, if a lizard bites you, you might get a little bit of a... Maybe a little bit of skin come off and maybe a little bit of blood. Obviously, parents, depending on what type of lizard it is. So, Spike is spiky and he needs to protect himself. So, if anybody wants to grab hold of him... What do you think he's going to do? What do you think they're going to feel? They're going to feel all those sparks and then they go, oh, let go. So it's the same thing when you hold something hot or something sharp. What happens? Okay. Your mind tells you, oh, let go. That's sore. And that's what happens with Spike. So he's not venomous. However, he's got all those spikes on his body to protect himself. Is a gecko a lizard? Yes, it is. All right. Now, Leon, everybody, blessing, hands up in the studio. Who of you have chased geckos before? Come on, don't be shy. Listeners at home, I hope you're listening. Who of you have chased a gecko? Me. You have? Okay, I'm not going to moan at you. What I am going to do is I'm going to teach you something. Boys and girls, we're not to chase any geckos. Why? Very good question. Do you know that when you chase a gecko, What happens to his tail, boys and girls? I know, I know. It falls off. That's right. It falls off, boys and girls. And do you think it's a good thing that it falls off? No. Very, very good. Boys and girls, little geckos store their food in their tails. And do you know what? If you chase that little gecko and he loses his tail, and we're right before winter, he's not going to survive. So that means... He loses his kitchen. How would you feel, boys and girls, if your tummy was taken away for six months? Do you think you would survive? No. So, boys and girls, if you see anybody chasing any little geckos, you say, Whoa! Dude, that's not cool. Stop! You're going to make him lose his kitchen. Poor little lizard. I feel sorry for them when that happens. Boys and girls, parents, we've already said that we're not allowed to keep the sun gazer as a pet. All right. Just remember, boys and girls, that um, the reptiles we've been speaking about, they're not the same as a cat or a dog. They don't wait for you at the door every night and welcome you. All right. They rely on you to treat them very, very good. You've got to make sure that he's got fresh food and he's got water. You don't if you've got a pet lizard. You're not going to swing him around by the tail, are you? No, because that's cruel. So, boys and girls, take care of those wonderful little pets that you've got at home. And parents, remember, it is a great responsibility. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you for sharing all this wonderful information with us. Blessing, well done. Those are great questions. It's a pleasure to be here. And from Tracy of Emhoff Farm, we'd like to thank the Sharp Sharp team for having us in your studio today. Thank you to the Sun Gazer Lizards and Tracy for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the show, listeners. Bye! And that's a wrap from us. Technical producer Cassie Lowers, producer Kim Winter, we wish you a wonderful day. I'm Leon Fisser, and remember to keep it sharp, sharp. Sharp, sharp, the children's program more tomorrow, more otherwise tomorrow. Right now it's uh, 2 o'clock on SAFM, time for the news with the Sandra Mazzagnani.